Hey there, this is the More Than Hearers podcast. I am Orion Williams. Um, I am sitting here with Peter Willis. And no relation. We're going to be talking about Romans 5 today. Uh, if you've been following along the previous episodes, we've been taking one, uh, one chapter in Romans per episode. And Peter's been giving us a good walkthrough on what the history is here and uh, what all this is about and it's been a lot of fun so thanks for joining us how's it going Pete? hey ryan romans chapter five are you ready just wondering uh like ryan said romans five we've been going verse by verse chapter by chapter through romans uh if if you're joining us for the first time on romans five i think i've said this the last couple of episodes just put it on pause Stored somewhere where you can find it again, and really want to encourage you to go back to Romans one. Not not so that like we have listeners to all the previous episodes and we can just tack them up, but because Romans builds on itself so much. Five all by itself is great, but in the context of one, two, three, and four, five is so much more powerful. And so, really want to challenge you to go back and pick up Romans one. Romans one talks about um, God has made Himself known throughout the earth from the foundations of the earth in every way throughout his creation. But because man, it says in Romans 1, refused to acknowledge him or give thanks to him, God turned man over to everything man could come up with to do wrong. And and we've heard Romans 1 manipulated so much in churches and, and organizations that claim to be churches and all of this because it mentions homosexuality. But in the same vein and in the same context, it goes on to talk about gossips and slanderers and greedy people and children who are disobedient to their parents. It's all of it. And it just lists off all of these things. And Romans chapter 2 goes into, if you think the people who do those things are bad, well, you're judgmental. And being judgmental is just as bad. And by the time you get to Romans 3, Paul's at, the thing you need to get is there's no one righteous. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Nobody seeks after God. And the end of chapter 3, he goes, that's great news. And you go, no, really, I'm kind of depressed, Paul. And Paul goes, no, because we're not justified. We're not righteous because of what we do. Our righteousness comes through faith. And you go, really? Prove it. And he goes, okay, chapter 4. Look at the life of Abraham. Last episode, we talked about this at length, and I love it so much because I don't know that before I really studied Romans 4, I identified with Abraham a whole lot. Mm. Abraham was the father of the Jews. He's the the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's that guy for those people. Right, yeah. Yeah. And, And Paul goes, no, wait a minute. Here's the thing. Abraham was credited as righteous by his faith before circumcision. Before he did anything, because he just believed God, God called him righteous. And Paul goes, so we're all children of Abraham, whether we're of the covenant of Jews or not. Because Abraham, the promise was given and the covenant was given to Abraham before circumcision, before the outward expression of identifying with God. And so you walk away from that and you go, oh man, that's fantastic. And with that background, we open chapter 5, because chapter 5 opens with, therefore... And the classic church cliche, I've heard it, you've heard it, we've all heard it. Anytime you see therefore, Orion. What's it there for? Oh, so fluid and perfect. So therefore, because we know that we're, we're righteous by faith, just like Abraham, Paul goes, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, Romans 5, 1, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom, speaking of Jesus, we have gained access by faith 
into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Oh, why'd you have to put that in there? Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Is this James chapter 1 or Uh, Romans chapter 5? My my page says Romans 5. But then it goes perseverance, uh, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. There's a lot here in just these first five verses. And a couple of things I really want to point out. Therefore, we've been justified through faith. We have peace with God. And it's so good that it's there. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Our access is no longer through the law. Our access is no longer through the high priest. Our Mm -hmm. access is no longer through a perfect lamb. Except that Jesus was the perfect lamb. Our access to have peace with God is through our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 2, through whom we've gained access by faith. All of chapter 4, the end of chapter 3 was all about that. Into this grace, this unmerited favor. i I, got to share the story. I've shared it. Orion's probably heard it more times than most people. Many years ago, when I was in Bible college, I was in theology class, and we were discussing grace. And my professor, who will remain nameless, <laughs> says, does anybody know what grace is? And me being the, the kid I was at the time, I got my hand as high up as I can go. I'm holding it with the other hand. And he calls on me, and I, I've been in church my whole life at this point, you know, an 18-year-old kid in Bible college. And I say, it's unmerited favor. And he goes, well, kind of. And he gives us this like three-sentence long definition. We've got to know for the test. It's got to go in our notes of grace. Don't ask me what it was. This is 20-some-odd years ago. I don't remember now. But he gets done with the definition, and I raise my hand again, just as high as before. And he goes, yes. And I go, so what you're saying is it's unmerited favor. And the class chuckled, and he moved on. And what happened, though, is I'd started some weird rebellion or revolution in class because for the rest of the semester, anytime the professor said the word grace, the class would go, you mean unmerited favor? At least happened a couple of times. I don't know if it was every time, but it happened quite a bit. Needless to say, at the end of the semester when I turned in my final, I apologized profusely and probably still got graded accordingly. But that's neither here nor there. But this grace, verse 2, through whom, speaking of Jesus, we've gained access by faith into this grace, this unmerited favor of God. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. This grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we glory in our sufferings. And I wanted to point this out because I made the joke as we read through it initially about James 1. James 1, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Yeah, this looked a lot like James when you were, when you were reading it and you, and you said, is this James? Like, right. Uh, of course, I knew that it wasn't, but it is very James. And James goes on to say, and perseverance has to finish its work so that you're mature and complete, not lacking anything, which is essentially what Paul says here. Perseverance, character, and character, hope, and hope doesn't put us to shame. you got to realize that when you're in the Bible and you come across two different authors in two different places saying almost the same thing, that's usually a clue that it's important. This is so key because... Paul says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. And later on in Romans, he's going to talk about sufferings again. He's going to talk about they don't compare to the glory that's to come for us. 
and we think about it, yeah, sufferings, you know, my, my house payment's five days late and, you know, my kids are a little rebellious or whatever. You got to think about this in the context of the time that this book was being written. Rome ruled most of the world and Rome was this absolutely pagan nation. Not pagan like we have now where, you know, a lot of people really are, are, are anti-religion or at least anti-Christian. This is, you know, they've got a whole bevy of gods. They've got their, um, you know, their god of this and their god of that and their goddesses of this and their goddesses of that. And their temples built all these things. And, and really they were just human versions or humanoid versions of gods of various things. And even that they paid, oh, I don't know, just their words to it wasn't necessarily um it was more cultural than it was religious i mean it was religious to a certain standpoint but just a nation that ruled most of the known world that stood completely against god and it got to the point in rome where christians were you know within decades of this book being written christians were being put to death when paul talks about sufferings he's going to head to Rome shortly after he writes this book. He's going to get shipwrecked and bit by a poisonous snake and put in jail for speaking his mind. Um, These are sufferings. Mm. Not to discount what we face every day, but when we see Paul going, we glory in our sufferings, I don't know that I can honestly say I totally get it. I I think that it's, uh, it's worth pausing just to say, that the sufferings that we partake in relative to ourselves, I mean, especially if, if you've got a fairly, you might say, oh, my life is pretty easy, but that doesn't stop you from complaining about what might be petty things in the grand scheme because they're relative to your life, relative to your experience, they're still a form of suffering. And this can still speak to those sufferings if we let it. It doesn't have to be a... a national persecution or a grand event it doesn't have to be a large-scale form of persecution with fear of death in order for this to still apply to us we can still and and yeah not to discount the to the law of averages says that somebody that's listening right now very likely is going through some real stuff yes um and genuinely suffering and so this may hit you in a deeper spot than it does me or the other person listening or even, you know, or whoever. But the reality is, is he goes, we get to glory in our sufferings because that produces perseverance. And that perseverance develops our character. And that character gives us hope. And verse 5 goes, hope doesn't put us to shame because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given us. Don't forget that at the end of the book of John, Jesus is in the upper room. They've, they've had the Last Supper. Judas has gone out with his 30 pieces of silver to go hook up with the guys he's going to hook up with. They're getting ready to head out to the garden to pray. And Jesus has this 14, 15, 16 of John where he goes, you know, it's good that I go away. Because God's going to send you the comforter, the Holy Spirit, God's own spirit to come dwell in you and live in you. It's... It's something I don't know. I think it's worth us pursuing intellectually, but I don't know how much we'll understand it this side of heaven till we're in the presence of God to understand that the presence of God has been with us the whole time. uh, There's multiple passages in the New Testament that speak of the Holy Spirit, and we get kind of a a more complete version of the Holy Spirit, you know, an understanding the more you read. But what I think is really helpful is that in some verses it's called the Holy Spirit of God, and in others it's called the Holy Spirit of Jesus. 
And yeah, now you now you put the whole thing side. No, I'm kidding. No, that, that that to me is like that. That's who this spirit is. Like yeah. when, you know, when Jesus goes away, it's like he's going away in body, so that he can return fully. I mean, it, he's it's the same spirit. Well, and and when Jesus was on the earth, physically in man form, he had twelve guys, his twelve close guys, and he had some other. Uh, sometimes I think as much as a few hundred people following him around, but that was a small percentage of the world's population. He was only ever really in one place at one time. Right. So much as we know. So by leaving, mm. he gets to be with us all as much as we're willing, intimately. We get the same access as Peter, James, John, Thomas, all the Matthew, those guys. We all, regardless of where we're at geographically, get that same access, if not better. It's super cool. I mean, because if I wake up in the middle of the night, he's right there. They woke Jesus up. He got mad and yelled at the clouds. So, you know, that's a lot of conjecture on a really good story, and I probably shouldn't have said it, but it struck me funny, so I said it anyway. But um, the intimacy and access we get to God by the gift of the Holy Spirit, I think, um, is worth trying to comprehend, but on some level almost beyond comprehension. Fair enough. It's not an excuse to try not to, but... Just know that if you get frustrated because you don't totally understand it, welcome to everybody. Yes. So, verse 6. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for the ungodly. Not necessarily for the people who had it all figured out, who were already going to church, who got who are all cleaned up and living the way that they thought they were supposed to be living or whatever else. He flat out died for those of us who were not godly. Such a great encouragement. Seven, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. Verse 8, you've got to have heard Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners... Christ died for us. And in our case, fast forward to almost 2,000 years removed from Christ, before we were even sinners, mm-hmm. Christ died for us. That's good. What a cool... Again, these are things that when they hit your brain, your brain's like, oh, i got to understand this better. And you, The closer you to try to grab it, it's like trying to remember a dream after you woke up. The more you try to remember it, the further away it gets. But at the same time, God knowing that 2,000 years plus into the future, you were going to be a filthy sinner went, I got a way out for you. I'm going to send my, my son, my, the perfect best sacrifice ever. You guys have been sacrificing perfect lambs for generations. I'm going to send the perfect lamb. We're going to sacrifice him just like all those other lambs. He's going to die, but he's not going to stay dead like those lambs did. He's going to resurrect again so that that sacrifice works in perpetuity. Ah, it's cool stuff. Sorry. My eyes get glassy and I get all excited. Hebrews does such a good job of breaking this out. Um, And another real heady book, a lot like Romans, that just builds on itself. But um, Hebrews does a good job of laying out the foundation of the sacrificial system and then explaining how Christ fulfilled that. Uh, we so often as Christians think that he yanked that out from underneath all the things and did away with it, but he actually became the perfect fulfillment of it. Um, because when a lamb was sacrificed, it was sacrificed and consumed and gone. 
You couldn't come back the next year and go, oh, that lamb over there that's dead, that's the one that covers my sins because it was gone. Whereas with Christ, he's still alive, so we can go, that lamb there, that one that's still there, that's my sacrifice. You used uh, used this phrase of fulfilling, uh, that that the, the law, that the structure of the old covenant is fulfilled in Jesus. And I, I think it's worth, uh, just because I have some experience and study that is probably worth bringing out to this that some people when they read that word or they they see that word or they speak that word fulfillment that that uh that jesus is the fulfillment and he says do not think that i've come to abolish but to fulfill the law right that they think it means to keep doing because because fulfill they think means something that carries into the future but fulfill it really means he's like putting the period on it. He's not throwing it away. He's finishing the sentence with himself. He is the fulfillment. And that it had to be, in, in order for his statements to be true, it had to have existed. And then he needed to come in order for it to, to be true. It all needed to be together. It all needed to exist. But he has completed it. And so we don't need to do it anymore. I mean, that is not for us. I think the Bible is clear on that, but some people still get a little squirrely on that, and they think that he, he meant something different when he said fulfill. No, he did fulfill. He completed it. You know, it's so funny because we don't use that word fulfill or fulfillment in, in our modern language much anymore. But as you were talking, I, I, an illustration came to mind. There's one place where I know for Orion and for, for myself and probably for most of you that are listening, where we see the word fulfillment on a regular basis. Orion, you're looking at me. I can't tell if no, I, I, you're I, like, I, I know okay. it's, it's going to be some contractual, contractual obligation. <laughs> sort of. <laughs> I, so when I'm, uh, when I want to buy something, I, like I just bought an inverter for my car uh, so I could plug in um, some household things into my car via the standard outlet instead of the lighter socket outlet. Yeah. I bought it from this online store called Amazon. I've heard of it. And you'll see that some things are shipped via the Amazon Fulfillment Center. I've seen this. Ah, see, fulfillment in our modern day usage. What happens is, is you place an order and Amazon fulfills that order by putting that item in a box and putting a label on it and getting to you somehow in two days or sometimes less. It would be terrible where you if they abolished the order. Or, <laughs> or if they uh, put the thing in the box and then just set it on a shelf there and went, there's his order. We're going to keep ordering it. Or you received it, but then it still showed in the system as waiting to be sent out. It's fulfilled by putting it in the box, sending it to you, you receiving what you ordered. That's fulfilled. It's done. Uh, dare I say, it is finished. Amazon doing the Lord's work. <laughs> now you're stretching just okay. a little bit. But, right, that's, but that's that, that context of fulfillment. It's to complete something. It's to bring it to fulfillment, to an end, to a finish to make it complete. Complete. That's a great word. Okay. So verse 9. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Romans 1 opened up with God's wrath is revealed in this. 
And so how much more will we be saved from God's wrath through Jesus? If we're justified by his blood, oh man, perfect. We get saved from his wrath. For verse 10, for if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we, we have now received reconciliation. It started out that the, those short few verses we read where it says that we were God's enemies, verse 10, while we were God's enemies. And verse 11 closes that we've received reconciliation. We've been brought into right living, or not even right living, that's more righteousness. We've been brought into a right position yeah, right with standing, God. Yeah. You know, I so much lately when, when I've been in uh, Bible studies, I keep coming back to uh, Genesis chapter 3, the fall of man, where Adam and Eve commit, they eat the fruit of the tree they're not supposed to eat. And then what happens is, is it says God came into the garden to walk in the cool of the day. And God's first thing is, hey, Adam, where are you at? I want to walk with you. I want to be present with you. I want you to be present with me. Where are you? That's the reconciliation this is talking about. God sought to have relationship with us. And through Christ, we get to be reconciled to him, to that place of relationship with him. So verse 12 starts to draw us back to Genesis. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one woman, I'm just kidding, it actually says one man. It's trying to be funny. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. To be sure, verse 13 says, sin was in the world before the law was even given. But sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, Death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? That's a lot of words. There's a lot here, and we're going to run into this in Romans more than once, where Paul is really smart, if you didn't know that. And he gets really wordy. And I can't even imagine, because I know Greek is way wordier than English. I can't imagine how wordy this is in the original Greek. But to break this down, he says, sin and death entered through Adam. Adam committed this sin. He did what God told him flat out to not do. We can try and blame Eve. We can all make jokes. It was the serpent's fault, whatever. It doesn't matter. This is the way God set it up. Adam was standing right there next to Eve when she ate because how else would she have taken a bite and then given it to him? He was there and he made that choice and he ate. And because of it, God, 
cursed is essentially what it comes down to, but man cursed himself through his choice. And every man since Adam with two small asterisks, every man has died. Enoch, it says in, in the Old Testament, he's one of the early uh, early people. He's uh, before Methuselah even, he was shortly, several generations after Adam, it says, Enoch walked with God until he was no more. So asterisk one. And then Elijah was taken up into heaven in a chariot of fire, asterisk two. Other than that, but neither of them are here anymore. So on some level, they're, they're gone. But everybody since Adam died. That's the curse. That's what sin did. And so if that one sin cursed us all to death, whether we sinned or not, we're all going to die. How much more would the one sacrifice in Jesus give us all the opportunity for life? I love this comparison of the one versus the many, too, because it just uh, emphasizes how everything. Whenever God does something, it's like always more than yeah. when we do it, right? Like it's like like he, when He loves, like we go, I I love a lot, and then we look at God's love and say, like, okay, well, I love all the love, that, all the all the love, <laughs> yeah, all the way, all yeah. the way, love. Uh, I, I am love, as a matter of fact. <laughs> like, God literally says, am. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but this this notion that it wasn't that Adam's life of sin is what we inherited. It was the one sin. Yeah. Just the one. That one sin literally spoiled the whole lineage of humanity. And before you sit there and, and, and throw your phone out the window or however you're listening and go, that's not fair. Uh, there's a commonly accepted theology, and there's a name for it, but don't ask me what it is because I don't remember. And I'm sure I'll get 1,400 emails going, it's this. And You'd like to get 1,400 emails. Yeah, well, okay, I'll be lucky if I get 14. I, I'd, I'd settle for 1.4. There is a name for it that says, if you were in the garden, you would have done the same thing. That sounds unfair because I'd kind of like a shot at it. But the reality <laughs> is, is I'm operating from the knowledge of what happened. Sure. Adam and Eve had no foreknowledge, no prior knowledge of oh, one day a talking snake's going to come up to you and suggest that you be like God. I, I don't know. I, I think a lot of our sins are pretty much just like that. Did God really say? Did he really say don't do that? Kind of. I, I but you low-key kind of want to do it, right? No, I really kind of want to do it. <laughs> just do it then. <laughs> Looks pretty yummy. Why the heck not? I mean, it, it's the truth of it. Yes. Uh, it plays out in my life every day because there's plenty of things that I've been told not to do that I have done anyway. And they were um, way less uh, significant than dooming all of humanity. So anyway, there's that. Yeah, just the, the idea of the, the, the one versus the many and the how much more. And that phrase that Paul keeps using, like if, if man could screw it up this much, then how much more can God, could fix, God it? fix it? Yeah. yeah, I love it. And and he's going to get into later because then your thing is, is, oh, the more we screw up, the cooler God is. Should we screw up more? And Paul's like, you're missing the point. And, and we're getting way ahead of, of where we're at. But he, it, there's going to be a lot of um, one of my favorite phrases that occurs again and again and again in Romans is, what then should we say? Paul will go, well, what then? Should we say this? Or what then should we say about that? And so your logical direction to go is, well, if 
if the more we sin, the more God has grace, well, we should sin more so God has more grace. It makes God look better. Like we're trying to make God look good. Because God needs our help. He needs, right. He's got an image problem. And, and that that's something like, if that makes you sleep better, like that you made God look better. I mean, like what kind of ego is that? Like, yeah. I mean, really. But I love that, that Paul addressed these issues. This is the kind of thing you could see a debate happening and then that Paul would just crush whoever this other person was in the debate, right? Like you can imagine this scenario. It's a debate. But this is just a book that he wrote from start to finish. We're going through it from literally from start to finish. And he is addressing every one of these points. And fortunately, he's setting up a nameless person and crushing them because some of those arguments that he crushes are arguments that I've brought. So I laugh at some of those arguments. I'm like, who thinks that way? But then some of the other ones, I'm like, oh, yeah, I kind of actually did think that. And Paul's going to get to a point. Um, it's going to get uncomfortable. Just so you guys know, as we get through Romans, you may hit some of those arguments where you're like, that's a great argument, and Paul's going to smash you down. I promise. He's just... He's already thought of it. There's a lot of times in Scripture where I bump up against something, and I wonder what it was like. The things that we don't see on the surface of Scripture, like like the blind guy by the road... um, uh, is Bartimaeus, blind Bartimaeus is how we refer to him. I wonder what the next morning was like for that guy. I can't go beg by the road today. I'm not blind anymore. What do I do now? Things like that. And we know that Paul, um, very rarely, there's the end of one or two books where he uh, actually states that he's physically writing with the pen. But Paul dictated his most of his letters and somebody else wrote them. As he was dictating Romans... The guy who's writing it down, I wonder if his head was exploding. Like, Paul, you have to slow down. I can't keep up. Or if he's going, holy cow. Or if he's like, yeah, right on, man. Hang on, Paul. I got to write this down. Slow, you know, like, I just wonder if he, if he got it or he yeah. was so busy just trying to get the words down. And I just, it, we could be here all night trying to, or day or whatever time of the day it is, trying to figure that out. But, um, This idea of verse 14, nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses. Death reigned from the first sin to the giving of the law. Even before the law existed, the curse of being a lawbreaker was already in place. Even over those who did not sin by breaking a command. That one twisted me out a little bit when I first came across it because it insinuates that there were those who didn't sin. Uh, I haven't met anybody. I've tried before. (laughs) Like I've tried to get 24 hours. I rarely make it uh, 24 minutes, to be honest. Um, It's a, it's a rough thing. I don't, I don't know that it gives us an excuse to not try. I think Christ commands us to be holy as he's holy. I think it's a, a valiant effort, but Paul goes, look, death reigned even over those who didn't sin by breaking a command. It was a curse from the beginning. Well, not from the beginning, but from the fall. But he says, verse 15, the gift is not like the trespass. Because if the many died because of one sin, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? So our our curse of death came through one sin, but Christ's sacrifice covered all the sins. That's what Orion was talking about of the more. And verse 17 again, For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness 
reign in the life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Verse 18. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man will the many be made righteous. Wow. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Oh, man. And thankfully, I mean, we're going to end there for now, because uh, to go beyond here is to go into six. And and it's real easy to leave on that point and go, wait a minute, it does sound like, you know, the law was brought in so the trespass might increase, so that when sin increased, grace increased. And I thought you said that that's what we weren't trying to do. Well, Paul's going to cover that in six. It's not what we're trying to do. Um, it, it's the exact opposite. Um, six actually opens with, I'll give you a preview of coming attractions. Paul says six one. what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Such cool stuff. I can't wait to get into chapter 6 with you. Hope you enjoyed chapter 5. Tune in for the next one. Thanks for listening.